Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling is reminding businesses of the Curb to Compost program, which allows businesses, restaurants to have food waste collection. And this is an important next step in your business's or restaurant's recycling program. Welcome to episode number 164 of the Jackson Hole Connection, recording right here beautiful Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I'm so excited about this episode, but before we get into it, I want to tell you about who's supporting today, which I gratefully appreciate. Support for this episode comes from the Jackson Hole Real Estate Associates, the region's largest and most dynamic real estate company in the Valley. For more information and to view current listings, visit jhrea.com. And additional sponsorship comes from Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling. They're always reminding you to reduce, recycle, reuse, and compost. Welcome to the Jackson Hole Connection. I'm Stephan Abrams, your host. Thank you everybody for tuning in this week and welcome to all of you new listeners. Before we begin this episode, I wanna say thank you to everybody who keeps showing up and is giving us all those wonderful ratings and reviews. If you're enjoying this podcast, please give us a rating and review and share this podcast with other people as well. My mission of this podcast is to bring you fascinating stories of people connected to Jackson Hole. How are we going to do that? How am I going to do that? It's with you and me working together by me talking to people and you sharing the podcast. People sharing stories are the same people we see every day walking the dog on the trail or sitting down and having a good cup of coffee or at the local pub drinking a good beer. I feel we all have a story to share and we can connect with each other when we just take a little bit of time to talk and learn a little bit more about each other. Sharing stories allows us to all learn and grow so we can live full lives. And my guest today has a phenomenal story. She is Lori Andrews and Lori is a climber, an ultra runner, executive director of the Community Foundation of Jackson Hole, and a person who truly loves her dogs. Lori first arrived here in Jackson on a climbing trip to climb the Grand, of course, and later planted some roots after landing a job right here in the Valley. While settling down into our little town, working to preserve open spaces, Lori always found time to be in the place which would take her around the world. And that place is the mountains. Only a few days or weeks before our community began shutting down due to COVID, Lori stepped into the role as executive director of the Community Foundation. From the view of a community member, Lori has led the Community Foundation as though she has been there for many, many years. Lori, with the support of her team and board of directors, was a major contributor to our community in keeping our community healthy on so many fronts, which she will talk about today. Also, Lori shares with us today how her time in the mountains helped her train for a moment in life none of us had ever imagined could have happened. And how does Lori do it all? Well, she's going to tell you right now. Lori, thank you for joining me here today at the Jackson Hole Connection. Delightful to have you here as a guest. Thanks for having me, Stefan. Great to be here. As I start all the episodes, we started off with you sharing your history of how you landed here in Jackson Hole, because we all have an interesting story. 
and path of how we landed here. So where did you grow up, Lori, and how did you land here in Jackson? So I grew up in Northern California. I grew up in a town called Auburn, which most people know if you're driving I-80 from Sacramento to Lake Tahoe, just as you start to come out of the valley and into the foothills is Auburn, California. It's the gold rush country. And it was a very sleepy rural place to grow up. My grandparents had a ranch. My I grew up on an orchard and it was a wonderful place to, to grow up and be part of my family. And, and yet I find that it's all gone now, more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, the, my parents still live in the area. My sister and nephew live in the area. And I go back about every six months and every six months I have seen huge changes. And so really from Sacramento to Lake Tahoe, unless it's, unless it's public land, it's been developed and it's really just kind of strip mall after big box store all the way to Tahoe. And that really motivated me when I looked to where I landed with um, land conservation and being very attracted to Jackson and the wide open spaces of Wyoming. I uh, had a pivotal part of, um, I was in my late 20s. My family did not grow up camping and we we were outdoorsy and we had a ranch, but camping wasn't a thing for my parents. So when I was in my late 20s, my brother invited me to a trip to Alaska over the 4th of July and really didn't know what I was getting into. There's a lot of funny stories of you know, I brought a change of clothes for every single day and I brought enough food to feed an army and I put it all in my backpack, but I just fell in love with being outdoors, being on the trails and really changed my life. I took a new job and I moved. I was living in LA at the time and I got into climbing, to rock climbing. And that I didn't know what I was getting into, but someone said, um, a dear friend of mine said, why don't you come along? We're going to go climb the Grand. And I said, sure, of course, I'd love to climb the Grand. Where is that exactly? And I remember coming to Jackson and being in the town square for the farmer's market. And we had climbed the Grand successfully. It was amazing. And I remember going, how does someone live here? And then I found myself two years later, I was with the Nature Conservancy. I had started with them in San Francisco and then up to Seattle, Washington. And there was a position open in Jackson. And it was to do land conservation. I had been in fundraising and I found myself in Jackson in 2003, moving and with the Nature Conservancy based out of Jackson, but doing most of my work in Fremont County and Sublet County, huge education. And the other great part of the job with the Nature Conservancy is that it was part of my job to travel all of Wyoming, all the way to the border of South Dakota and everywhere in between to get to know the state. And that was magical because it is a wonderful state with lots of treasures for sure, especially outside. And so I found myself in Jackson in 2003 and found I came for a job, which I know is not what everyone can say, but I actually came here, gainfully employed, living in a renting a cabin that you could see through the chinking. There was as many (laughs) animals inside as there were outside. My mom pointed that out when she came (laughs) to visit and um, it was wonderful, wonderful to be here. That's a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing. (laughs) I, I appreciate it. I have some a few questions about your story. Um, first, I'd love to know what type of orchard did your family have? 
So we were in the foothills, as I mentioned, outside of Davis, the University of Davis. So the orchard, before my parents uh, bought, were able to buy the orchard, it was a testing ground for the University of Davis to see how different fruits, in particular peaches, hmm. um, grew. And so there were different rows of different peaches. So we would have peaches starting in May, going all the way to July, August. We had cherries, we had nectarines, we had tangerines, but peaches were the predominant crop there. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Do you still like peaches? I love peaches, but I am a bit of a peach snob because peaches are meant to be picked off a tree and they're a very different fruit when you're able to pick them ripe off of a tree versus a little bit hard, rock hard and ripening on your Mm. count. So yeah. Bit of a peach snob. Yeah, I could <laughs> I could see that. I'd be with you too if I could go pick a peach off right off the tree and eat it. Now, starting here with the Nature Conservancy, you mentioned your role was to cover the entire state. Um, actually, I visited the entire state, but I was okay. to cover Fremont, Teton, and Sublette counties. So okay. really just the western Wyoming areas. Mm-hmm. Now, traveling uh-huh. other parts of the state, mm-hmm. I, I feel... A lot of people hear about Jackson and they just know Jackson. Right. And you said it very well, how magical the rest of the state is. Yes. What are one or two places that you visited during this experience that you want people to know about in the rest of Wyoming? Oh, that that two jumped to mind and I could name 20, but two jumped to mind. So Tensley. Mm-hmm. Um, Tensleep is a beautiful area that has climbing hard climbing, at least for me. Um, but it's it's one of those kind of like the Grand Canyon in that you don't know what you're going to see. And then you see it and you go, oh my goodness. So 10 sleep jumps out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, the other area that jumps out to me is the Bighorn Mountains. And I went to do a race in that area. And, you know, I think we are so attached to the Tetons and they're such a signature for, for obviously Teton County. And I remember going to the Bighorns and the wildflowers and the hills, and it, it just lit me up in that it, hills are stunning and trails are stunning. And the other place I want to say is Dubois, because Dubois is 90 miles away. So anybody can go visit Dubois this weekend if they wanted to. Um, if you get in your car, Togi Pass is, I think, one of the wonders of the world in that it's a longer pass than Teton Pass. And Togedi has, you just come up into those mountains and then you you have miles that you're actually in the mountain range. You're, there's a good chance you're gonna see some animals, some megafauna animals that will mm-hmm. make your day. And then you come into the town of Dubois, which if you just stay on the main road, you'll go, okay, that was quaint. And that was kind of a Western town. And then if you take a left or a right off that main road, you will get into stunning country and Mm. really worth a weekend drive or a visit to spend a weekend in Dubois. Highly recommend it. Uh Oh, that was three. So there you go. Quite all right. I'm sure we could keep going to about the list of 20. And I'm glad that you snuck in another one. And I've never thought of Dubois as a place to go visit. It's certainly another access point to the winds. Just just Mm -hmm. past Dubois. And I've been out there and seen some sheep. but. I will add it to the list for the family and I to go explore more. Well, the thing to mm-hmm. remember is that Dubois sometimes doesn't have snow when we do. So if mm-hmm. you want to jump on your mountain bike or jump on a trail, 
you can still do that in Dubois when sometimes our trails are covered in snow. So just something to think about. Very good point. Thank you for sh- for sharing that. I'm and, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and and you also spoke about how you became a climber, and that's what brought you mm-hmm. out here to Jackson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if I know correctly, you've done some pretty interesting climbing trips. Yeah. Haven't you? I have. Yeah. Yeah. Would you like to share about some of these trips and what made them a unique experience for you? So one, I have to say, I just was very fortunate early on to meet special people that were willing to take me with them Mm -hmm. and to keep me safe and to lead, which all the climbers know you got to have someone leading. Um, I'm really good at following. I'm a great (laughs) follower, but... I'm not that great at lead climbing. So um, truth be told, I I got into climbing late in my 20s and my early 30s. So no excuse, but I'll follow pretty much my friends anywhere. So when I got connected to a group of women that were heading to Ama de Blom, and as it turned out, um, a woman that guided for Exum, Angela Haas, really well-known, one of the best climbers in our country, I would say. Angela Haas was leading the group and a woman named Ellie Pryor was a friend of mine that was here. So I landed in Jackson in 2003 in June and that fall they were heading to Alma de Blom. Now Alma de Blom is in the range of Everest, same Kumbu range there. I again didn't know what I was getting into and I of course agreed. They said we need one more person, you fit the bill, do you want to go to Nepal? And I said, yes. And I remember I had to sell my kayak. I had a wood kayak. It was a stunning handmade wood kayak so that I can afford to go to Alma de Blom and headed to Alma de Blom. And we hiked to get acclimated. And then we um, had a couple different summit attempts. We were able to get Ellie and Angela out of our team. We're able to summit. Um, but it was an experience of a lifetime. And that's what I found with mountains is that Oh, to go climbing, you go to beautiful places. And that includes, I don't care if it's up Death Canyon or it's the Grand or it's um, Gannett Peak. Um, so I have been able to travel amazing places. I've climbed in Bolivia, in New Zealand, um, all up and down the Cascades. Um, and then more recently, I decided I wanted to get back into climbing. I had put it aside for a few years and had a big birthday coming up and was introduced to um, a woman here in town, Janelle Smiley, who I call, she's literally a rock star. And uh, I told Janelle I wanted to get in shape and ready to climb Mount Kenya, which is actually a technical climb. And um, so we would go climbing every two weeks, two years ago. This was before COVID hit us. And we would climb every two weeks and we did, you know, Irene's a rat and we did open book and we did some real, the classics of the Tetons to get me ready. And what I thought was so special is to go over to Kenya and to um, have that experience of trekking and climbing. And then to get on a climb, the guide, I think he was kind of like, okay, you know, this woman all of a sudden wants to climb Kenya and we flew up the mountain and to have that really feeling that I can do this and I'm ready for this and to have trained for it um, felt really special. But uh, climbing has introduced me to wonderful people in wonderful places. So love I it. love it. Yeah. 
I I have certainly I haven't climbed, but I I certainly know what you mean by you get out in the mountains and away from the road and the hustle and bustle of everything, and it's always such an a, a new experience because what you think you're going to see, as you said, is not necessarily what you see. Yeah. Um, have you ever been to Death Valley? I National have been Park? to Death Valley. I have. Yes. Um, I've done Whitney. Um, the other thing, you know, that you're talking about what's so special about being out is um, I think sometimes for me, it's hard to turn off all the noise, the noise around mm-hmm. work and what I'm supposed to be doing. And if something's troubling me, the minute I start climbing, I can think of nothing else. There is, I, I would love to meet the person that can think about multitask, why they are rock climbing. It is truly puts you in the moment. And if you're not in the moment, you tend to fall off the rock. So it's, um, it's a pretty extreme way to be, to meditate. Let's just say that. <laughs> extreme meditation. I like it. <laughs> <There's>, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm thrilled to know at this point, you have kept your mind on that task at hand of climbing the mountain other than other rather than other yeah. things. That, I didn't think about anything else, I promise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and you mentioned about Mount Kenya that you showed up and the guy had a I don't know a perspective because you were a woman and wanted mm-hmm. to climb that mountain. Mm-hmm. How did you help him overcome his perception of you being a woman there? And had you experienced that before as being a, a, a woman and climbing? <laughs> Um, yes. Um, the woman that first took me under her wing was exactly 20 years older than me and she had gray hair. And so when she would go into climbing shops since she was a talented climber, but when she would go into climbing shops, they pretty much wouldn't even talk to her. I mean, they wouldn't give her the time of day. And she just said to me, she goes, Lori, I'm not here to prove to anyone that I'm a climber or I'm this or that. I'm just having fun and I'm living life. And here's, you know, I'm going to get what I need and then I'm going climbing. Mm-hmm. They can have their issues. And she just instilled within me to be comfortable and never to um, kind of prove yourself. Climbing is not a great place to prove that you're better than you are. You know, you don't want to get in over your head or over promise or overcommit because it's dangerous and you have other lives in your hands. So, you know, be really comfortable in who you are and ego has no place in climbing, no place at all. And um, as far as Mount Kenya goes, the funny part of the story is um, my husband was very supportive, but he doesn't climb and he's not even going to think about climbing. So the way this worked is we moved camps for four days to get to the base of Mount Kenya and the climbing guide was more interested in talking about fly fishing with my husband, who is, he's a very good angler. And they talked about fly fishing the whole time. And so the night before it's time to climb, my husband's like, when's the safety talk? When are you going to talk climbing? When's the safety talk? And he, the, the guy turned to me and he goes, do you know what you're doing? Do you know how to, yeah. And I go, yeah. So, you know, we're leaving at like three in the morning. And my husband was just like, oh my God, you know, where's, you know, where's the safety and everything. I go, it's going to be fine. We're good. Um, but it wasn't when we started climbing. And um, we were simo climbing the first part. It was more scrambling and we were moving fast. And I swear at one point he turned around and I, I mean, I'm a middle-aged woman from the States, you know, he doesn't know. And he's like, and then he's like, we're going to do this because Kenya has a false summit that most people do the false summit and call it good. Mm-hmm. But to get to the real uh, 
peak of Kenya, you go to the fall summit, then you have to go down and then across um, an ice field and then up the final part. But you have to be moving because the weather comes in like clockwork at about two in the afternoon and you've got to be going down. And um, so we made that. But I would say, you know, I think Stefan, sometimes you just got to show up and do your best and people will realize that you mean business. It's okay. (laughs) Good. Good for you to not allow that individual to discourage you in in any way. And, And I'm shocked to hear about one of those early mentors in climbing, the experience that she had going into climbing stores, because as you said, their ego has no place in climbing. But here in when going into the store, those people working there, they're most likely climbers as well. But they exhibited ego in that environment. Would they would they have done the same out on the rock? Well, I don't know. I don't yeah. that's a really good question. I will tell you this that I love going out with Janelle. Mm-hmm. She's the strongest climber I've ever seen. She's stunning to watch. And let's just say I think a few um seen a few moments of true respect watching Janelle climb. And right. I just get to watch it and that happens, I'm sure. So that's probably another good podcast to talk to Janelle, but I will tell you that she gets respect on the rock. And, and good she, for her. Yeah. Good for her. Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling estimates that approximately 3,954 tons of food waste are disposed in the trash right here in Teton County every year. This makes food waste the next frontier material in the quest to achieve our county's goal to reduce waste and recycle more, which will help us aim for zero waste. For more information on Teton County Integrated Solid Waste and Recycling's Curb to Compost Commercial Food Waste Program, visit tetoncountywy.gov recycle and join today. Jackson Hole Real Estate and Associates is the market leader in Jackson Hole, providing every client with unparalleled professionalism and breakthrough marketing strategies. Their organization is comprised of dedicated and experienced real estate professionals, and they offer a collection of some of the most sought after properties right here in the Valley. For more information on buying, selling, or market stats in Jackson Hole, Visit jhrea.com or call 307-733-6060. And Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling is reminding you to bring your reusable bags whenever you go shopping for groceries or other items around town. Remember, those reusable bags are great for the environment. By using those recyclable bags, we will continue to reduce the amount of products that we send to the waste stream each day. Also available at the Recycling Center is food waste composting and yard waste composting. Just give them a call at 307-733-7678 for up-to-date hours of operations. Let's go back to work and what you have done here in the Valley because your contributions to this community are very admirable and appreciated. And so you went from the nature conservancy and then mm-hmm. did you go to the role where you were just before where you are now? Yeah, I went the to land the trust. land trust in 2005 mm-hmm. and I was with the land trust for 15 years and it was um huge 
you know, huge step for me to start to run an organization, to be the primary contact with the board and to have a budget and strategically decide where the organization's going. And um, it, it, it was a big, big step. And this community thinks, watches the land trust very closely. And open space is a really big deal here. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of passion for it, but there's also a lot of controversy around open space and how we use our land here. So huge learning experience. It's always about who you get to work with, be it the the landowners and the donors, as well as the board and the staff that I was very fortunate to work with. Very fortunate. And now you are at the Community Foundation. I am. You started there and then... Be- was it right beginning of the pandemic? March Just before. 1st of 2020. Talk okay. about timing. <laughs> <laughs> what, 15, 20 days later, the village closes? Um, so I was in my role and I was here for one week and then we closed the office. So I got to know my staff and my board via Zoom. Oh, yeah, that's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, really the community was rolling things closing. And I remember going to a town meeting and it was wall to wall people in the, in the meeting and they were deciding to cancel. What would they be canceling? In hill climb. Hill climb. You're right. It was hill mm-hmm. climb. And I remember thinking, okay, this just got real. Cause we don't, we don't cancel the hill climb. I right. mean, it's, you know, most important weekend in the winter for town. And uh, so went to a, <clears throat> we had a special board meeting and decided to create this community emergency response fund. And Stefan, I kid you not, I went home and I, I didn't have a place to work. I'd never worked from home before. I didn't have a desk. I didn't know what I was, you know, I didn't know where I was going to work, the kitchen table. And I cleaned out this kind of side room that I had considered a storage unit and had to get rid of like, I mean, literally my husband was thrilled. He's like, I just was throwing things away so I could have a place to sit. And I'm like, this is going to be for two weeks. It's all going to go, you know, maybe a month, but this will be like two weeks. And then I'm back in the office and this will all be just this weird blip on the screen, not a blip on the screen. And I, I, I just remember this was kind of my war room of what the community was needing. We also started immediately. So interesting transition to go from conservation to community foundation, which really focused on health and human services and all different interests of our community. And I, and I, some people have been very forthcoming with me to say, they're a little worried about this conservation person all of a sudden taking over Mm. for the community foundation. So we started Zoom calls for different areas of need. There was a food call, uh, there was a behavioral health call, shelter call, immigration call. So you get the picture that there would be all the groups or people interested in that area. So you'd have 20 people on the call. And I remember very quickly, we were heading into spring break. And for two weeks, there were going to be 300 plus kids and families that had zero food. And Mm. we were watching the businesses close. And so on that call, it was determined how to secure the food, how to deliver the food. And what was really amazing to me for the community foundation was we were able to be on the call and say, money's not the issue. Resources, financial resources are not the barrier. Hmm. You can, if you have the people and the system to get them the food or get them the shelter or get them the mass, we, because we created this community emergency response fund that people were so generous to, to help fund, we were able to, to fund very quickly. Hmm. 
the needs of the community. And I think about that because I think as a community, we were to not easy, but to have a little bit of a softer landing than other communities. And I'm not saying we still have huge needs. And I think it also showed us that stuff and that, wow, as a community, we have some huge needs. Mm -hmm. I think the pandemic really uh, underlined and highlighted some of those needs in our community. What a a beautiful blessing to think about the community we live in and how some important people came together to said, we're going to make sure this happens and it's not going to be a financial barrier. No, I just think if so many other places had that same support. Well, and I think this too, Stefan, we were talking about rock climbing and we truly have rock stars in our community and they're not Mm. on the rock right now, but they are the best in their field and they are dedicated. And this is the other thing is that people were dealing with, you know, their own families and their own childcare and their own illness and their own, you know, stress and anxiety around what was going on. And yet they showed up every day to make certain that certain organizations were were helping our community. I mean, they never didn't take a break. They didn't say, I got to take a pause. I'm out. Mm -mm, No. They showed up every day. And that it it really got to me that um, I think that really fueled me to be so and I I got immersed in these groups. And that was that if there was a silver lining for me, that was that getting to know who works in what area and how truly special they are. What are a unique and impactful position that you have now? Well, even at the land trust, very, very impactful. But with what you have helped coordinate, um, it's how does the community ever thank you? (laughs) Well, you know what is we decide to be kind to each other. (laughs) That's Mm. the other thing (laughs) is that I I worry sometimes, Stefan, that um, we forget how to be kind to each other. And I, I know stress is high and I know people are really struggling. And yet, we are, we're all we have for each other. We have each other's backs and we need to, and I know that kind of sounds Pollyanna, but I mean that, that we need to figure this out together. And I know huge changes have come in the last year and a half. And yet there's no place I'd rather be, Stefan, no place. Yeah. I'm with you a thousand percent. And at Halloween, we were with uh, our neighbors and Mm -hmm. My wife and I and, and our neighbors, our friends, the Lawlesses, we were all saying the same thing. Yeah. We could not have imagined going through the past two years, Mm-mm. any other place, or right. how blessed we are to raise our kids in the town that we're raising. Yep. I agree. I agree. But even if somebody's not in this town, they still have an opportunity to make an impact, even if they feel as though it's not moving the needle much. Wherever they are, they can find some organization and be kind, like you said. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and it just takes one to start and, one. and bring others along. Yeah. 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 I, I do want to talk about housing and, yes. it, you know, the shelter aspect of yeah. the things. And mm-hmm. if there's, I'm very curious to know, has there ever been a coordination between with the land trust because they're about protecting land and protecting land that has existing housing on it Mm -hmm. to where we see maybe a certain amount of gentrification, if we want to call it that, Mm -hmm. um, 
doesn't happen because we need certain shelters for people in our community. Mm -hmm. Well, we do know this is that housing has, I think, been an issue for our community for a very long time. But the last year and a half took it from an issue and something we struggled with to a downright crisis. And, And I don't use that word lightly. I do think it's a crisis. I think it is being very aware of the fabric of our community and what matters to us. I know, Stefan, I would guess that you're similar to me, that every week someone is moving, that you just can't believe they're moving. And mm-hmm. it will impact your life and it'll impact our community. And you don't know how you get that back. I mean, you don't, special people and and I, I just, it, um, it's, it's borderline overwhelming. So to me, I, I look at this and I go, okay, how are we going to, we are a passionate community. We have resources as a community. And if we're going to get this, if I mean, how do we get together to make a difference? And I think it needs to be collective. It is not one organization. It does not sit with one organization. And I think we need to look politically at what are we willing to do? What are the policies? What are the zoning? What are we willing to do? And that's hard because we love Jackson just the way it is, right? But we have to figure out where we're willing to put the housing for the workforce, affordable workforce housing. So we have to look at the policies. We need to look at the, you know, the housing trust is doing amazing work to make certain that there is some affordable ownership. And then we have to look at the housing department is looking at how to do rentals. And to me, it is not, it's more how do we coordinate our efforts and really put the pressure on the right places, pressure for the funding, pressure for the zoning. And it takes a lot of leadership. And so I, I think that falls both on the private, the public, and the nonprofit sector. So all three of those are important. Mm-hmm. We have strong in all three. So now how do we coordinate all three to go in the same direction? That's a monumental uh, undertaking uh, to coordinate because as simple as it sounds, boiling it down to three, it's still a lot um, because those are three large areas that are independently maneuvered. True. I, I will say I don't think private philanthropy, you know, the private dollars and donations will do it. It can make a difference, but I won't solve the whole problem. And so that would be the one thing I would say is that let's get firing on all cylinders in the private philanthropy for this. And we need, I think we need another funding source. I think public funding source. I I think we need people at the table and we need to say, we're going to build it somewhere. Mm. (laughs) Um, I wish people could see your facial reactions. That's a podcast. So it's just all audible. Yes. Um, right now. Um, but I, I certainly appreciate that. Now, the community foundation, mm-hmm. it's there's community foundations all over the country. Yes. How is this community foundation in Jackson Hole similar to other ones around the rest of the country, but also what makes it unique? It's a great question, Stefan. And I um, have to tell you the first year in my role, I had no idea because I, I actually loved doing my homework and, and land trust. I knew, I mean, I was involved in, you know, nationally on land trust boards and da, da, da. And I knew I could have given you that answer. But the first year of this job, I have no idea. 
Um, I've had more time recently, but I'm just laughing because if I was going to get low marks, I had no time to breathe. I didn't know what anyone else was doing. I just knew what we had to do. But having said that, in the last six months to eight months, I've had a little more time and interacted with other community foundations. So what I would say is similar is community foundations are unique to their community and they have a flavor and a style and they reflect the community they serve as they should. They also are similar in that they are looking at uh, what I would call the overarching larger community needs. And we, we did a community needs assessment in this community, St. John's Health and the public health do that. So when you look at what are our larger needs of our community, we know housing, behavioral health, if you take behavioral health and split it into mental health and substance use, we know that these are um, the overarching larger, they're the top three, if you split those out. So you've got behavioral health, mental health and substance use and housing. And so every community foundation needs to know what are the the largest needs of their community and how are they going to impact those? Can they help in some way? I think you know this, Stefan, that the community found we were um, instrumental in something that's coming out soon, this behavioral health assessment. It's a report of our community coming together and giving their feedback on where they are in, in really around mental health and substance use coming out of or in the middle of this pandemic, wherever we are in this. And it has taken a hit in our community. Our community has taken a hit more than the national average and more than either um, than other mountain towns. So we, we are feeling this. It isn't our imagination. It isn't just kind of anecdotal. So I think it is important for community foundations to know where their community is and to, to engage in that way. That is how we're similar. How we're different is Old Bill's Fun Run. And I think after 25 years, we all take Old Bill's Fun Run for granted in that that's who we are. And it's a signature of this community, you know, that that second Saturday in September when we hopefully come together to run. But more importantly, um, this community comes together in an amazing way to help all the nonprofits. And what I think is is important to point out is that Old Bill's Fun Run is not focused on one nonprofit or one area. It is to support generosity across the board. And it is the most democratic way to give is, you know, you go to Old Bill's and you say which nonprofits you want to give to and these co-challengers and Mr. and Mrs. Old Bill have put a match together for every nonprofit. And everyone has, you know, their nonprofits that they're connected to, but holistically, it makes up I believe the heartbeat of our community, because what you can know is that one organization is taking care of the animals and one organization is making certain there's a wildlife crossing and one organization is working on housing and one organization is feeding us. And together we are one community. And this idea, this year alone, we raised 19 million, over $19 million for our community. And that is a signature across the country. Community foundations um, have tried to re- replicate this. Um, it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of community will to do this. And Mr. and Mrs. Old Bill are, are just amazing. What they Their vision and their willingness to be so generous. Yeah. Have other community foundations been able to replicate Old Bill's model successfully? Not that I know of, Stefan. I think hmm. there's been a few, but 
it takes such a dedicated group to make that match, which then motivates the rest of the community. Mm-hmm. The match is not, it's, it's, it takes a lot of work to make mm-hmm. that happen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I want, I want to go back to the community health, behavioral health assessment yes. of, of our community. And, and you said that our community had a, took a bigger hit mm-hmm. in, was it mental health? Mm-hmm. than yes. other communities and especially other mountain towns. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you know that? And then any information come out as to why? So um, what we were able to do is we surveyed the community. And because we were able to get uh, just under 1,300 responses, that makes it statistically valid for our community. And we were able to get different segments of our community at numbers that are able to represent those different segments of our community. So seniors, and this was only 18 and older. This was not looking at our youth. And the the area, the, the one slide that jumps out to me the most, Stefan, is that if you look at mental health days, so the question asked, how many days have you struggled with your mental health, be it anxiety or increased stress in the last month? And good news is we had this from 2017. And so before the pandemic, it was three days, like 3.2 days out of a month is what they said. It's now just over seven days that so a full week, people said that they struggled with mental health and whatever that entails for them. But the mental health, a full week out of a month is what they struggle with. And that was, um, I want to say about 20% more than other mountain towns and significantly more than other just the national average. So that is one to me, that slide kind of, you know, you don't want to slice and dice and everything. And I mean, there's just so much information. It's, it's very dense, but that slide in particular tells me that um, number one, through the pandemic, I think mental health uh, has been, people are more comfortable talking about it. We've all had trouble sleeping and we've all had a moment of anxiety. And so that is a positive that we can talk about it. And now what I think is really important is to talk about where we go from here, both in prevention and treatment and crisis, and to make certain we're here for those that need us in this community. And we have the resources available for anyone that's needing, needing that helping hand right now. Yeah. That's, that's wonderful that we, we have that unfortunate that we have such high numbers of, um, but it's also great. The numbers of people that responded and and I hope to see better results in the future for our community because we are a special place. Yeah. Most definitely. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think because we have the open space and we can get outside and breathe, which of course is one of my most important ways to get, you know, get some fresh air and get outside is, but there's other things going on, right? Just because mm-hmm. we live in a stunning place and we have uh, the ability to get out in nature doesn't mean people aren't struggling. We just sure. have to be aware of that. Right. For sure. Do you feel that your training and experience in climbing and the mental fortitude and strength that you built up over time as a climber helped you get through the past two years? So I would tell you two things and two things helped me get through, well, three things, but two things around sports is yes, the climbing um, one of the things that is always interesting to me in climbing, and, and I am no way overselling my climbing. So when I am climbing and I can't seem to get a move or I'm floundering around, 
I'll usually take a deep breath and go look at it differently. You know, I keep trying the same move, the same move, the same move, and I keep slipping off. And then I go, whoa, look at it differently. And then you move your right foot up a smidge, and then you can grab something with your left hand. So that really helped me to be like, take a deep breath and look at it a little differently. This is a different puzzle. Look at it differently. One thing we haven't talked about, and um, I I laugh about it, is that um, I've done a few ultras in my life, which um, ultras are anything over a marathon, but done a couple hundred mile races. And everyone had their saying that this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. And always under my breath, I would be like, baloney, this is an ultra. Um, This is is not a marathon. This is much more than that. So um, I have laughed about that. So I have run 10Ks and I've run marathons and I've run ultras. And the difference in a 10K and a marathon is huge, but you can actually drink a little in a marathon and eat nothing and you'll still finish a marathon. It's not going to be pretty, but you're going to finish that marathon. If you think you're going to run a hundred miles and not eat anything and not drink anything, it's not going to happen. And so I do think this is true in a marathon and in an ultra is you have to pace yourself. Mm. You have to take care of yourself. And one of the things in the training for ultras, when you're doing a hundred mile race, if you don't start eating in the first 10 miles, you will not make it to the last 10 miles. You have to say, so I'd actually set my watch and every 50 minutes, it'd be like, eat half a bar and have something to drink. And then 50 minutes later, eat half a bar and drink something because you can't make it in a, in a hundred milers. You're just not going to do it. So I learned that the other thing I learned in hundred milers is just to go to each checkpoint. Don't think about five checkpoints from now because you got to get to the next checkpoint. And I realized that with this work and in the middle of this pandemic is just focus on the next, you know, run your best race, do your best to the next checkpoint. And then we're going to start again and we're going to go to the next checkpoint. And then you're amazed, you know, you're 86 miles into a race. And you're like, oh my gosh, I've been doing this for hours. <laughs> yeah. And then the third thing I would say is not sports related is um, I have been very blessed with amazing friends and family. And let's be honest, that's what gets us through. I mean, I am very blessed. Yeah, it, it does. And, and your dogs. Oh, and then my dogs. Oh, yeah. yeah. Do you want to talk about my dogs? Let's talk about your dogs. Okay. You have I how have many dogs? dogs. <laughs> <laughs> and what are their names? What are their names? Okay. So there's Fern, who's the 14-year-old pointer. And then there's Chico, who is an eight-year-old Labrador. There is Feather, who is a six-year-old English pointer. There is Maple, who is a five-year-old Brittany. And there is Meadowlark, known as Lark who is one and a half year old Spitfire little English pointer. And do you take them all out at once? No. So Fernie is 14. She can't Mm. go out too far anymore. Mm. We go for little walks, very little walks, but Mm -hmm. she, uh, heart of gold. And Fernie was easily one of the best bird dogs of, she's the dog of a lifetime and Mm -hmm. she's 14 and she's all heart. So she doesn't get to go that often. I usually go out with two or three. I just kind of rotate them. But mm-hmm. um, usually when you run into people with four dogs on a trail, they, 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 they're they a little overwhelmed. So keeping them um, greened in, but they are bird dogs. And so they are finding birds, which is also really interesting stuff. And so you'll be on Game Creek, we'll be on Game Creek or Cash Creek. 
and they'll go on point. Well, they don't go on point on the trail. They go on point off the trail. So I'll be bushwhacking and people will be like, excuse me, the trail's over here. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, my dog's on point over here. And they're like, no, no, the trail's over here. I'm like, I got to go deal with a dog and a bird and I'll get back to you. <laughs> so that's how I, that's what a run looks like with me. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. And, and I take it, they've probably helped you train for some of those hundred milers. Um, they have, they, mm-hmm. they are, they inspire me. You know, um, I think it's more in the winter. Most people are like, well, you don't go out when it's snowing. Of course they go out when it's mm-hmm. snowing. They're, they're bird dogs and they need to get some energy out. Maybe I do too. Maybe. Um, so we go out rain or shine, snow, sleet, you name it. We've done some interesting things and they're always having a good time. Seth. I mean, they don't like the one kind of weather that they the pointers in particular don't like is when it's that 36 34 kind of rainy snow and wet mm-hmm. they, they're okay with the snow and they're they're but they don't like that kind of really cold but not quite snow weather mm-hmm. i don't like it either <laughs> i'd rather it snow if it's gonna snow snow if exactly. it's gonna rain it's just rain no if you're gonna snow that's right yeah i don't think my love likes likes when it's that rain snow snotty rain you know snotty rain snow or whatever version you want yeah yeah the strain (laughs) the strain that's right yes well Lori, i have so enjoyed getting to learn more about you and all of the impact that you've made on this community and where our community is if people wanted to reach out to you what is a way for them to connect with you Probably the best way is my email here at the Community Foundation. Mm-hmm. You can find that on our website or I'll give it to you right now. My email is landrews, so landrews at cfjacksonhole.org. And that is also our website is cfjacksonhole.org is our website as well. You can find us there. And always love hearing from community members, your ideas, what's working for you, what you want to see more of. And we we live in a special place and you're very kind to, to talk today, Stefan. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you for your time, Lori, because you have lots of important things that you're doing for us all. Thank you. All right. Good to okay. see you. Take Great care. Great to see you. Bye. Bye. To learn more about Lori and the Community Foundation of Jackson Hole, visit the jacksonholeconnection.com episode number 164. Thank you, everybody, who helps keep this podcast on the air each week. Michael Mori, who does the editing and marketing, and my wife, Laura, and my boys, Lewis and William. I sure hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection. <laughs>